are back. Episode 10. Can you believe it? We're into double digits on the New Levels Coaching Podcast already. I'm just going to put my clapper down for those of you watching on YouTube to a big loud bang. <laughs> yeah, a special episode this week and I'll be honest, an unplanned episode. Uh, Gemma is back and Gemma is going to play host for us this week and I'm going to answer hopefully a lot of questions for everybody. But um, if you're not aware, the athletics world was struck with some quite devastating news on Friday. I woke up to quite a lot of text messages on my phone about the passing of John Nuttall, who is my former coach and a good friend. And I'm still very good friends with with the Nuttall family and Alison as well as some Wyeth. Um, the athletics world has had a huge loss, but it's fair to say that it won't be the same without John, but it certainly is a better place for having him in it in the first place. And we wanted to do a podcast this week that looks at the impact coaches have on people's lives and also to a bit of a tribute to John to have a little bit of a a remembrance about John. So we're titling this episode Remembering John Nuttall with also looking at the coach's impact. Gemma's going to ask me some questions around how maybe John has impacted my life personally and maybe our lives collectively together. Um, But we're also going to share some of our best coaching stories from over the years to show that coaches do change people's lives. And this is a coaching podcast that is dedicated to inspiring people and educating people. And we say that every week. We want you to literally run away with that education inspiration. And coaches are inspirational figures. And we just want to share some of those memories this week so that hopefully people can listen back, look at the good times and share those stories as well. Because sometimes those stories are shared between our close circles, but they're not always shared far and wide. So we wanted to open some of those stories up and share them with you this week. So I'm going to hand over to Gemma, who's going to kick us off this week. And as I say, she's going to be questioning me. So she's going to play host, but we are going to bounce back and forward and hopefully give you a lot of stories to take some inspiration with and some some stories that I'm sure will make you smile. Perfect. Thanks, Lewis. Yeah, and I think it's a lovely um, tribute to John doing this episode. And I loved what you put on your um, Instagram about don't cry because it's um, over, smile because it's happened. And I just think that often we can just move on or not celebrate the memories and not go back and look at the memories um, that you've had with somebody and John was so hugely important had a hugely big impact on your life and I think it's really important to do this podcast um, so yeah I'm looking forward to interviewing and hearing all the stories so let's start off with your um, I guess your journey with John how did you how did you start being coached by him and where did it start yeah I'm gonna go back before Loughborough um, if that's okay because I yeah. think it's also important to look back at who played a role in in getting me into running in the first place. And although the the journey of running can go back to when I was 11, 12, 13, when I started at school uh, and my tutor, John Stevenson, helped get me into running, I'd say my running journey really started when I was 15, 16 year old. And um, I was approached by a coach called Paul Harker, who knew my great uncle Miles, who was also an athletics coach. And maybe that's where my passion for coaching stems from. We've had coaching in the family for a very long time. Miles was responsible for coaching his son, Mike, and also Paul at Dalton Harriers. And Paul recognized my surname. He came over, introduced himself, and asked if I'd like to join him his group at the time in Newton Aircliffe. And the rest is history. I did join that group. Uh, we had some great times as a, as a little team up there in the northeast of England. And I would say Paul was the first person who started to change the direction of, of my life because I had visions of going on to do other things, certainly not going to university. But when I got involved with Paul, the prestigious Loughborough University was talked about in many circles. And I remember a runner from Darlington coming back home, a guy called Barry Stevenson, who 
had the Lufbrikiton, the the African violet, and you'll be very familiar with that. And I seen it, and I was just like, "Oh God, that that looks kind of fancy." And yeah. I just thought that's that's where I want to be. So I decided to go to Loughborough. But when I got to Loughborough, I felt quite lost, to be honest. And um, in my first sort of five to six months at Loughborough, certainly from the October through to the January, um, I was pretty close to, to going back home. So in, in January, I'd gone home at Christmas time. And I'd even said to, to a couple of close friends, I don't think I'll, I'll stay down there. I don't think it's for me. Uh, I think I'm better off up in the northeast. But that's when John came in and uh, a few other people as well. So like Matt Wood, who was on the podcast quite recently. Um, I did some training with Matt. We'd, we'd met before, but he'd mentioned he was getting coached by John. And I just started to jump in a few sessions. And that relationship then blossomed until we went on a, a warm weather training camp. So at that point in time, I still wasn't coached by John officially. But John had kindly asked me to go on a warm weather training camp with who I thought were the stars of, of athletics. So before we go on to that and some funny stories of the warm weather training camp and your experience, what was it that kind of attracted you to John or helped initially create that bond? Because I think sometimes first impressions do count. And why did you take that step to even go on that training camp with them? So it probably wasn't as much to do with, with John at that stage. I'd, I'd gone to help Matt with a session. He was preparing for the books indoors which at the time was the booster indoors and he, and he made the final of the 1500 as a, a fresher or a freshman if uh, some of our American mm -hmm. friends are listening in. and he did really well and and I'd been training with him and we'd been working together and we were cl quite close and um, John had kind of asked if I was getting coached and who I was with and I was just happy to, to play a pacemaker really and then I didn't know much about John because I was still a relative novice in the sport I had I'd come to the sport really late so my my first sport was football, really, and I played a bit of football and golf. So I didn't really know much about the athletics world back then. And then when I asked Matt about John's past, it, you know, it came to I came to realize just how good he was. He ran seven thirty six for for three k, which was incredible. That was a time I could relate to because we'd done a lot of three thousands then. I just couldn't believe this guy could run that fast. Uh, and he was still a re very young coach, but he was working for British Athletics. So naturally you think, oh, well, this this guy must know what he's talking mm. about. And then when he asked me to go on a warm weather training camp, I was blown away because it was going to involve being with people like Chris Thompson, who's now a really good friend. But I'd idolized Tomo. I really had. I'd, I'd got into the sport only a couple of years before. But Tomo was everywhere around Athletics Weekly and those sort of places. So I idolized Chris so I jumped at the chance to be part of this group and there was a very strong female group going out as well. Helen Clitheroe, Laura Fanook and Rachel Thompson, Kat Riley and then myself, Chris, Matt and, and Adam Mitchell and we were going out with John's family and I thought, you know what, this is an opportunity I can't turn down. So I got on the phone to my parents at home, said, can we make this happen? Can you help a little bit financially? Which they did and they always did to help me and uh, we went and had an absolutely amazing time in, in Portugal. So what did you learn from John and the group in your first trip to Portugal? A lot. A lot of <laughs> things that probably shouldn't have learned and a lot of things that we should. Uh, when you talk about bonding with a coach, one thing I loved about John was his knowledge of, of the sport. But he was he didn't he didn't say much. He was a man of few words, but I, I described him to somebody the other day. Somebody asked me, what was his greatest quality? And I said, he never said too much, but it was always enough. Mm -hmm. You always knew that 
when he said something, it meant something. It wasn't an overgiver. He wasn't somebody who shouted orders at you. And I liked that. But I, what I also liked about it was he he was also like almost forcing you into educating yourself because you had to be a little bit independent with John. He would be first to admit, mm-hmm. and I'm sure a lot of people who were coached by John would be first to admit, communication wasn't his, his strong point. Um, and I, I loved that. That was something that I liked because I didn't want somebody in my face all the time. I wanted that two-way relationship where we could talk about things, but I didn't want too much. I didn't want an overgiver. So it was perfect for me. But then one thing that stands out was, um, as I said, I wasn't coached by him on the trip, but I started to realize how much more professional people were than me, particularly Helen, Mm -hmm. who John had coached for a while. And I took a lot of inspiration from from Helen Clitheroe. And uh, I call her Clithers because, uh, or Hells for short, but Hells was just amazing at doing all the basics right. And she was so professional, but she was also very balanced with it. I remember coming out with statements like, a coke a day keeps the doctor away (laughs) and she'd have a can of coke on the training camp. They were very good at eating. They were very good at fueling a lot, which surprised me. Um, They were very good at hydrating. I wasn't so very good at that. I was um, very uh, naive to all of that, particularly in warm weather. They were very good at pacing runs and very good at pacing sessions. And everything was just more professional. And I thought, you know what? I want a piece of this. If I'm going to get to the standard I want to get to, then I need to speak to John about him coaching me. And that's where the conversation started. Amazing. And I think I saw some of the quotes that you all shared during the week um, in memory of John. And a lot of them, which is great for people to actually hear, was about keeping a lid on it, you know, actually holding back most of the time. And because he knows that what you can go and do. But actually, I, I think there's a couple of them. You'll know them better than I do. But I think that was really nice to people to hear because I think what we're trying to do today is bring out John's memories and John's quote and his impact he's had on you guys as well. Yeah, I think sharing those was was a real highlight of my weekend. Some of them were just making me laugh out loud. Even people, uh, Sarah, who's a shop putter, she even threw a quote in there about you know John making funny remarks to other people. And I think that was the thing with John. He was a character, not just in our group, but he was a character on the the GB scene as well, yeah. being a you know a performance coach. But yeah, he had this mentality of, I guess people seen it as holding back, but I used to see it as control. He used to teach us to be in control of things and that often meant holding back because you were kind of holding back with your emotions and not getting carried away. And uh, Clithers shared one with me, which was brilliant, where she said, John said to to her, if I see you at the front, I'll rugby tackle you. And that (laughs) kind of summed him up. He never he never said too much, but he said enough. It wasn't like this whole spiel about if you go to the front, this will happen. This might happen. You can't do this. You can't do that. It was just simple. Like if you go to the front, I'll rugby tackle you. You know what that means. It means under no circumstances, you hit that front. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was really nice to to share some of those. And I think that's probably why I gelled with John so quickly is because in a way, I like to talk, as you know, I yeah. do. <laughs> really? <And> I, <laughs> I love to talk. But I think I liked the way he was with his words. I didn't want somebody blowing my trumpet. I didn't want somebody saying, oh, you could do this, you could do that. I just wanted somebody to be honest with me who also had a bit of northern humour and, uh, you know, had the balance right. And I think that was the key word, balance. 
And I think what John may have never realized is how much you learned from him and you brought into your own coaching as well. So we're going to talk about your athlete journey into coaching and John's influence on that. But I even like, you know, to a couple of months ago in sessions, like you saying to me, I want to see how you how you recover, not how fast you run the rep. And you were always like, well, John taught me that. How fast, like, how can you recover? How well can you recover? That's what I'm looking for. And John used to be like that with you as well. I think it's a really good tip for people who are tuning in to to take note of. John once said to me, I did a little bit of work experience with him when I was at university and um, I asked him what he was looking for in the reps and he said, actually not as much as you might think. He said, I'm looking more at the recovery. I'm looking at how people recover within the session because that tells me everything I need to know. And if you just think about that for a second, it's so true because if people are recovering well, it means they're often pacing their session well, they're in full control. If you see people on their hands and knees uh, or on their back, it tells you that they're probably either trying too hard or they've gone too hard too soon. Or if they're doing that at the end of the session, then they've put everything in. Yeah. So he was just looking at those visuals, but it was a real good learning for me straight away on my coaching journey to think I was always looking at how people look when they ran. And that only tells half the story, if that. Yeah. So it was really good to look at well, what does the recovery look like and, and how are people recovering in between their reps, particularly if they're on an interval session. But he also was big on running easy, although I took the mick with it one time and ran a little bit too easy. And um, <laughs> he, he shouted at me in the, in the outwards saying, you shouldn't be running that slow if I can be ahead of you. But my response, I was quite, a, I was quite quick to respond and said, yeah, but John, you've run 7.36, so um, you're not that bad yourself. And he was still running well at that time. Well, we looked back and looked at the age that John started coaching you. And at the time, I remember, like, I wasn't part of John's group, but I remember thinking, oh, John's, you know, quite old at that point. But actually, he's the, he was our age, well, pretty much a couple of years older. But you do realise, actually, yes, he's still, he was still, like, in his late 30s, wasn't he, at that point? He was um, 38, 39. We worked yeah. out. I was working out with Tom. Super the young. <laughs> that it, is really. And it is for a coach. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And, um, you know, he threw himself into a big job at, at the deep end. Yeah. I think that's testament to him. Um, Tom will be first to admit that he had a big impact on Tom O's life. And he really did, you know, shape shape my life because maybe I would have gone home in that first year if it wasn't for John. Yeah. And I'm just going to, I want to cover this because. I remember coming down to your drills group. So I did like I did one session a week with you guys, which was drills and um, core work. And I remember thinking for an elite group of athletes with people like Tomo, Helen, you know, Laura Finucane, how fun this was. Like it was professional, but it also had such a good vibe to it as a group. And that is credit to all of you, but also credit to John for creating that group. And you can, every photo that um, one of the athletes he coached put on social media last week, you could just see the group of you were having so much fun, you were happy. And that helped with performance. And I think that's really important that your, you know, running is your purpose. You all have a collective goal. You've got a great coach to support you on that goal and somebody who really invested in you. And I think John did invest in you all, but you were also able to have a group of friends that like Tomo, you're still really good. Like I heard you chatting to him for God, uh, over an hour the other night. 70 still... minutes. <laughs> but that you're still really good friends with. And without John, that probably wouldn't have happened. And I think that's a really good point to touch on is, it's probably what I was missing in my first six months. I came to Loughborough and Loughborough is a big place and it's yeah. full of superstars and you maybe don't get the individual attention. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong because it's hard to give so many people individual attention and I wasn't at the level where I deserved it, really. Um, 
but John's seen something and he was willing to give that individual attention. But more than that, I didn't really feel part of a group at Loughborough at first because, again, it's such a big group. Now, again, that wasn't any fault of anybody else's. It was just that I didn't really get involved as much as I maybe could could have. George Gandhi had an amazing group. I wasn't quite good enough to be at the top end of that group. So maybe I felt a little bit left out. And, you know, when I went to John, it just felt like we had a really good group bond. Very, yeah. very quickly, we established that. And I always remember on that first trip to Portugal, where he said, oh, on the last night, we're going to have a bit of a celebration. Now we're going to go out and have a few drinks. And I didn't really drink much at the time. And I said to him, you know, trying to impress him because I'd asked him to coach me. I said, oh, I'm probably not going to have a drink tonight, John. And his response was, Lewis, you're not getting involved in this group unless you have a drink tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And I think in a way I kind of needed to hear it because I'm not condoning alcohol with with running. But what I'm saying is it's important to have a balance and everything in moderation. And he was big on us having fun and having fun with it. We'd done the hard training. The work was done on that camp. He was like, time to relax, time to chill out and, and yeah. enjoy it. And that's one thing we did. We we absolutely loved each other's company, probably a bit too much at, at times, um, skiving off from uni and things to, to train. But it was just testament to the kind of group vibe that we had. And we've seen the elite coaches not have that ethos and not have that balance with their athletes and their athletes end up really unhappy and it, and it actually can ruin your life for a certain period. And I think all of you would say during that period under John, it enhanced your life and it enhanced your performance as well. So happy, happy athlete equals a you know a highly performing athlete as well. And that's super important. Well, I went from wanting to go home to not wanting to be home. Because all of a sudden I had a little family down here where it felt great to be around. Performances were improving. I wanted to learn more and more. And John was part of that. And people like Tomo played a huge role in that. I wanted to learn, despite those jokes about, you know, going out on the lash or whatever, I wanted to learn how to be more professional. And and Tomo, again, was on that journey himself at that point. I know John had given a, a big kick up the backside as well, and he needed it. And I think that's what we needed. I think we needed somebody who was um, fun and caring but he also had that balance right of going no guys you need to be professional now you know you need to switch on so that's why it does change people's lives that's why they do have such an impact on you because they can steer the direction which your life goes like we wouldn't have even met that next I'm sure of it we wouldn't have like something I've never shared publicly with a lot of people is I failed my first year at university because I was messing around and I didn't want to be here so I didn't try I I think I kind of knew I wanted to go home but then as soon as I got into John's group, I was like, right, what do I need to do to stay here? I need to retake that first year. How do I do that? And I restarted after year one and I reset and I'm so glad I did. Yeah. But that probably shows my mindset beforehand and my mindset after. And yeah. again, like it just shows the impact people can have on your life. Yeah, and it's amazing when somebody invests time in you and opportunities and it sees where you can go. But also you gave that to John as well. Like I think, like you said, it's a two-way process. You invested in him as a coach and he invested in you as an athlete. Um, so let's talk about your journey under John from, I guess, club runner to international athlete. I think you exceeded way probably beyond what you believed pre-uni was actually possible. And also bringing in your, oh, I just it was the best year, I think, with you and Adam Cotton. I just, everything about you two training together and what you achieved was just amazing. So take us on that journey with John and then into that year with Adam. Yeah, the group the group developed fast. Uh, a lot of people were involved. Uh, some younger athletes came in, like Pete Street from from Preston, 
uh, Adam Pierce, who's still a good good friend of mine, and then Adam Cotton eventually. We had the likes of Nick McCormick coming in, Johnny Thewlis, Ryan McLeod, who's one of my best mates and was a big part of the group for a long, long time. Wasn't in that first setup, but Ryan came a year a year after. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of younger girls joined the group as well, and it was a really good group just to be around. But for me, it was showing me the level that I wanted to be at. And I never believed it was possible to get to that level, I'll be honest. That you dream of representing your country. And I had this ambition of, oh, I'd love to represent my country. But when someone believes in you so much and tells you that's possible, you start to believe it yourself. And, yeah. and John gave me that vision of, this is possible. Take a look around you. Have a look at what these guys are doing, who you're training with, and go on that journey with them. And you'll be amazed as to where it leads you to. And you get inspired and you get, kind of picked up by each other on that journey yeah. when you see others performing you go with it and people like Adam winning the Europeans the and started that trend of GB runners winning the European 1500 meters title which is now like you look at it now it's mad that list of athletes who went on to to win that title but Adam started that and I think there was a bit of a a kind of a revolution of 1500 meters at that point in time and it was great to be part of it I never thought I'd win a British title I know it was indoors, but I did. And John is a big, big part of that and is, is the one who's mainly responsible for it. Yeah. So what did you, what were your favorite memories and trips away with John? Because there's been quite a few because you did, obviously Portugal first started and then you did a lot of altitude trips to Kenya and Front Rameau. And so let's have a bit of a deep dive into those and sharing your secrets with us. <laughs> Do you know what's amazing about running? I'm going to say this now. It's not the most lucrative sport in terms of money. I, I say this quite a lot and, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. But in terms of the people you meet and the journeys you go on and the places you get to see, it's incredible. It connects people like no other sport, in my opinion, because you go and compete against each other in an individual, individual sport. And I think you have the utmost respect for what people put in and what people get out. And there's just this level of respect for each other that if you're going through the same as me, I'm going to give you that respect. And you get on with each other off the track or off the field. And then when it comes to competition time, you can really kind of turn it on and become rivals, which is so strange when you yeah. think about it. You can go from training partners to competing against each other, which is very unique. And I think that's what makes running so special. And that's what creates so many special memories. For me, like I was chatting to Colin McCall the other day on messaging and that got me thinking about Kenya. Uh, and Kenya was amazing. Like I'd never, ever have gone to Kenya beforehand. But just I got to go to some places that I would never have visited, like Kenya, Austria, uh, South Africa, Portugal, Spain. Yeah, you might go to places like Portugal and Spain on holiday. But some of these random places that you end up going to they're all through running. Like we went to Sweden the other week yeah. and, I, and I said, oh, last time I was here was when I came to compete in a 1500. And, and that was again when I was coached by John. So some fantastic trips. I think one thing that stands out though, above anything is our Christmas parties, which is, uh, <laughs> woo -woo. yeah, woo woo. <laughs> so we used to get together at the end of the year and have a Christmas party, Christmas celebration. Uh, and John was a big part of that. I think it just showed how close we were as a group that mm. we wanted to do that together. And we'd go out for a meal and we'd go out for a drink and we'd celebrate what had been achieved in the year. And we'd all end up in a nightclub somewhere and, and John involved. And yeah, we, we ended up buying this cocktail all night called Woo Woo. And John just kept shouting, get back to the bar. Woo Woo. 
<laughs> oh, I remember walking into Echoes to find you guys and I just saw you and Adam Cotton with like these biggest smiles on your face and then John just walked through the middle going, woo, woo. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, it, it just shows how, again, how close we all were and what trust he had, he had in us that we would still turn up and be professional when we needed to be, but also we had the ability to relax and en enjoy ourselves. Yeah. So some of those memories, but the, the Portugal one is probably the standout one. I was I was looking back at those photos the other day, Tomo shared a whole host of them. And um, yeah, you look back and seeing Hannah and Luke just so young, like tiny, and yeah. then they've gone on to, you know, international honors now. And I know he'd be so, so proud of them and that they're amazing, they're doing incredible. Uh, and looking at those photos of Alison when I first met Alison, and I did a little bit of childminding for them as well when they're over at Barrow. But that trip just, it did just change my life. So it's hard not to look past that trip because it was just such a big game changer for me and it shaped everything. So Portugal is the, the standout one. And what did John, so you went from kind of club athlete, university athlete to international athlete. What did he teach you in that time? Like how did you learn from him and what changes did you make to be able to do that? I've always been quite an observant person. I, I always try to learn on the job and, and I was always trying to learn. Like even when I was injured with John, we'd sit down and look at like a cross training plan and he'd say, right, these are kind of the sessions I'd recommend cross training. Are you happy to give them a go? Are you happy to set some yourself? And I, I'd say to him, yeah, I want to I want to kind of set my own as well when I have a play around with this. So we'd, we'd work together, which was a real quality. But what I liked about John was it was there was never anything too complicated, but you just put full trust in him. Like I remember one specific point in time where I was getting ready for the indoors and I didn't have a track session on my schedule. And I said to him, John, John we're like 10 days out from Vienna. I need to go and get that time. And you've put hills in my program. And he was like, no, no, we're going to do hills and we're going to go to track after you're going to do some threes after the hills. But trust me, you'll be strong. And I just knew that him saying that I just trusted him all the time. Mm. He had that ability. If you trusted him because he was so good with his planning, you would get so much out of it. And I don't know what it was. He just always made me feel like very, very calm about things. So in that sense, I learned that trusting the process, which is a big, big word of ours at New Levels yeah. Coaching, is so important. And if people are out there and you do get coached by people, if you're coached by somebody, trust is such a vital part in making sure that you succeed. I can't highlight that enough, but it's got to be twofold. You've got to trust the coach and the tr the coach has to trust what you're doing as well. And I think we had that in abundance. Jo if John went away, he would know, he would trust me that I would do the plan and I would do yeah. what, was, what was set. And you couldn't track things back then. You just had to be honest with it. There was no final surge, which we use now. You couldn't track what people are doing. You just had to be honest and keep a training diary and tell them what you've done. So there was a massive element of trust. Yeah, and I think that's that trust in the process. And you always say that to people. You find you get questioned a lot more because of what's on social media and what's around. And if we could take it back to those days where you did literally, your coach told you what to do and you just trusted it and went with it, your performances are so much better because you didn't have all that noise and distraction either. No, some days it was like, you know, the sessions were on the plan, but the runs weren't in there. It was like a recommendation. Oh, I recommend you do this and that. And I'd say, oh, what do you want me to do, John? It's like, you know, you're a big boy. You know, it's um, how do you feel after the session? How's the body feeling? Again, it's that trust of you're not going to cut corners just because they're giving you an option to do something shorter. But at the same time, you're not going to overdo it because there's a license there to go harder. 
And it was a real, real trust element from both ways. But I think once they see that from you as an athlete and you show them that you trust them as a coach, that relationship takes off. And that's when you get really, really big performances. And I think sometimes it's also seeing Sir John as a coach, but also a mentor. And maybe you've always had that interest in coaching. Like you said, you were discussing and saying, John, I'll I'll create my cross training session. And actually, maybe part of him was also mentoring you um, to become a coach. And I know um, what he did in Doha and the work, he still has such a huge passion for it because he continued to coach. And that shows that coaching is a big part of somebody's life and they actually love what they do. Yeah, and I was speaking to to Woody about this because... Matt was out there a few weeks ago and uh, he'd he'd been spending time with John and Liz out there. And uh, I said to him, oh, you know, how's he getting on? How's things going? Because he hadn't been coaching more recently. And Woody said, yeah, he's still loving it out there. And it's interesting, Matt said to me, I do think he misses the coaching though because he hadn't been coaching as much. And I know he did a little bit with Liz and obviously he's still involved heavily with Hannah and Helen. Helen coaches Hannah, his daughter. And I know how much of an impact he's had on on Hannah in particular, but also Luke had started to progress as well. And Luke trains here at, at Loughborough with Sonia and Chris McGeorge. And I know John will always be checking in with them. So he was always in touch with the coaching. But yeah, you're right. He did go out to Doha to coach. And that's why I stopped getting coached by him in the first place when he went out there. Because back then we didn't have the technology we do now where we could track everything. Or it was certainly quite new. Um, and it was probably time for me to move on because I'd gone to London and things. Uh, but his coaching journey did take him further afield out there as well. And he always had that passion for it. And even when I saw him last year, at the, the three years when we were sat down having a chat and watching Hannah and at Highgate where, where mm. you bumped into him too. You know, he was always involved in the sport and he always had eyes on the sport and he was always checking in. So he always knew what was going on. Um, I kind of wish that he'd stayed in the UK for longer because I think he was a really important coach for, for UK. And we know that UK like to, you know, play around with their coaches and mix them up. And sometimes that's done on four-year cycles because of the Olympics and things. But I just wish John had stayed around a little bit longer. I think he could have added a lot more value to a lot more people. But saying that, he did add a lot of value to a lot of people's lives. And I know he changed a lot of people's lives. Well, I think also hearing from, you know, listening a bit to you and Tomo talking, you and Cotton when we FaceTime Cotton, who's now got a little girl, baby girl. So congratulations, guys. But hearing and Matt as well and Ryan hearing you talk, um, he'd be so proud to hear the impact he's had on all of your lives. And I think sometimes people don't realize that, but he's not only had impact on your life as athletes, but also into your, getting a bit emotional now, but into your coaching journey, into your lives as you've got older as well. And I think that's something to be incredibly proud of that somebody could do that. Yeah, I think that's a side maybe people don't see as much or, you know, people look at people's achievements and this is what I want to get across as a coach. We don't just judge people on their achievements. We judge people on... We don't, sorry, it's the wrong way to phrase it. We don't judge people. But what we look at with people is how they how they change their lives. How do they apply themselves? You know, it's not just about being the best in the sport. And I hope John did, did see that. And I think mm. he did um, because he had a massive impact on all of us as people. He made us better people. And he certainly impacted where I went with my career. And I know he impacted where Adam went out to Harvard University and then to New Mexico and places like that so 
he he did shape the way we became as as people as well and we're still involved in the sport and that's that's a big thanks to him and if you are listening in as an athlete who is coach don't underestimate the power of that because sometimes i think as runners we fall into the trap of thinking that our coach is judging us we're not judging you like we're not judging you if you don't run well or you have a bad day that's just all part of the process we understand it a lot of us have been there ourselves but we value that relationship with you and it means more to us than just the running. Yeah. So, you know, it's not just about you going out and there performing. It's about those relationships and what you're doing with your life and maybe changing life because of the power of running. Yeah. And like the performances are the icing on the cake. But even if you fall short of those performances, you still get everything and part of the journey to remember and to look back on as well. Yeah, definitely. So let's kind of finish this off with, I want to ask you a couple of um, questions about John, like um, just around memories and sayings and what you learned. So kind of more quicker answers, but... Um, Can I give quicker answers? <laughs> yeah, probably not. So what was your favourite memory of being coached by John? My favourite memory was winning the indoor 1500 metre title at Sheffield. And I said, John was a man of few words but walking around the corner and seeing him smiling and I won't, well, I will repeat what he said. You've fucking done it, he said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, you're getting emotional now. I don't think I can look at you. <laughs> but that's good. It's great memories and it's lovely to know, you know, to look back on that. It's a real powerful memory as well. Um, so what is one of your favourite John sayings? <laughs> favourite John saying, um, Tom would say steady because John always says steady <laughs> in that kind of way. Uh, but my my favorite saying was keep a lid on it, lads. I think it just resonated with me so much when you wanted to put too much in. And it shows how John always had that control element in mind. Just keep a lid on it, lads. One eye on the weekend. And I still say it to this day to, to the athletes who I coach. And I will continue to say it because it means... It just shows to me that you're in control of what you're doing. Don't let the session control you. You control it. And yeah, John was always on hand to remind us of that during the training sessions. Brilliant. I think outside of running, it was definitely woo-woo. Outside <laughs> of running, it was woo-woo. Oh, he used to have this saying, he, he used to say when we were running, get to the bar, Lewis, lad. Get to the bar. <laughs> and I used to like that one as well. But yeah, yeah. I getting think, quite emotional now, but it's good. <laughs> I think recently, um, Matt Wood showed a video when he was in Doe a few weeks ago with John and he raised a pint. And he said, send that to Lewis. <laughs> yeah, that got me that video. It was like only a few weeks ago, but yeah, I'm just glad to see he was smiling still having fun and I know Matt and Ben were having a great time out there with him and Liz so yeah brilliant to see and then um two questions left so what's the most important thing you learn as an athlete from John oh that is a really good question um trust believe in yourself um don't put limits on your own performance I think that would be my biggest one I had this idea that I wouldn't be able to get to where I wanted to get to, but that belief in somebody goes so far. Like him telling me how much he believed in me and what he thought I could do, it was almost like giving somebody a superpower yeah. because then I started mm. to believe it. So my biggest learning is show people that you believe in them and surround yourself with people who do believe in you because, like I said, John was a man of few words, but I always knew he believed in me. And he, he might not have shown it like physically and emotionally like some coaches do, but when it mattered, he did. And and that was really, really important. And then what was your biggest coaching learning? So you, 
so you were obviously an athlete under John, but what do you take um, from John's coaching now into your own coaching? Apart from the, the sayings, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, we mentioned something earlier on, look at the recoveries, just little things like that. Not just looking at um, how people are training in the actual session, look at how they're recovering. Making sure that the people get the balance right is a big thing that I'm still fighting with now. You know, I want people to enjoy what they do as much as I enjoyed it. I think a big learning for me as a coach has been that, and this is probably what John was really good at. He didn't relate his own experiences to us so he didn't say oh I did this I did that and maybe I was doing that too much when I started coaching and I used to think he wasn't doing that because he was just so good (laughs) because he was so good as an athlete that we couldn't relate to him so he wouldn't tell us what he used to do because it'd almost scare us because he was (laughs) that that bloody brilliant and that was without carbon shoes as well by the way (laughs) you know commonwealth medalist you know been to Olympic Games, multiple cross countries, European and worlds. One of John's biggest achievements was that he won the NCA title, like the NCA cross country title. Until recently, when Charles Hicks won it, he, he was the he was the last British male to have won that title, which is a huge accomplishment. Um, I will say something because you can. I remember him saying to me that was one of my favourite John quotes when he said, "Yeah." The Americans like the British lads that night, Lewis, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. But again, it kind of goes to show the relationship that we we had. He was more of a friend. Well, you know, he was a friend as well as a coach. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of that I'll take with me, you know, trying to get the balance right, um, making sure that people enjoy what they do, but also passing on that belief to them that I do believe in them as a coach. And I'm not just judging them on performances it's it's more than that and as long as you have that good relationship uh, that belief is like a bit of a superpower brilliant so i think it's obviously an emotional podcast to do but also i think such an important one for you to do and sometimes it's really hard it's well it's very very difficult when someone's had a big impact on your life and does pass away suddenly and i think that you know you didn't get a chance to say goodbye but these memories are there that will last a lifetime and that the impact that John's had on your life, hopefully his family and all his friends can see that um, and that can kind of echo through the athletics world. But I think, again, kind of going back to your Instagram quote, it is really important to remember, don't cry because it's over, but smile because it's happened. Um, And I think we'll keep smiling in John's memory. Yes, couldn't have said it better myself, really. What I would say is I wasn't sure whether to do this podcast this week because, you know, they haven't had the funeral yet and things are still coming up, but actually... um, I was convinced by people who were saying like Luke, uh, John's son, has really enjoyed listening to stories and hearing about him and those sort of things. And then I bumped into Ryan today, who's really good friends with Luke, and he said the same thing. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And yeah. Yeah. And we've um, we've definitely shared those stories and memories today. So it's been been a really yeah nice, emotional, but touching podcast in memory of John. So we will we will leave it there. And we will um, we'll be back next week for our um, number 11 of our episode of our podcast, New Levels Coaching Podcast. So I know this is a very emotional time for us. And, you know, it's hard for me to sit here and watch you also get emotional. But I think you should be really proud of doing the podcast and also, um, yeah, having those memories to share about John. Thank you, Gemma. Thanks for uh, interviewing me, I guess, <laughs> and playing host. Remember, if you do... Uh, Oh, if you could like, share and give feedback, that would be brilliant. We'll see you again in the coming weeks. Enjoy your training. For those of you who are racing, then please make sure that you're enjoying that too. See you all again soon.